Let's talk Purim. Purim, the Feast of Lots, taken from the Book of Esther. It happens in the month of Adar on the Hebraic calendar. And sometimes when it's a leap year, there is a leap month put in the Hebraic calendar, and it's the second of Adar. When this happens, the Feast of Purim happens on the second of, of Adar, or Adar Shani. Now, on the secular uh, Gregorian calendar, it usually falls between February and March. Now, Purim is the feast that was instituted by Mordecai, Hadassah, that is Esther's cousin and guardian, after Haman's plan to wipe out the Jewish people recoiled upon his own head. During this festival, we dress up and disguise ourselves in costumes and have a lot of fun and even play some good-natured tricks and jokes on people. It's kind of like Halloween and Mardi Gras put in a blender, if you will. Esther is a book in the Tanakh, that is, the Old Testament as known by Protestant Christianity, that does not mention the name of God anywhere outright in the text. That's right, the entire book of Esther, you will not see the title or the name of God anywhere. But it's interesting to note that God is disguised all throughout the book of Esther, not just in the events, but in the text itself. God participates in Purim by disguising himself as well. Esther chapter 1 verse 20, it says, And when the king's decree, which he shall make, shall be published throughout all his empire, for it is great, all the wives shall give to their husbands honor, both to great and small. Now God's name in the Hebrew is yud Hey vav Hey, And it's formed by the initial letters in this particular verse. But yud Hey vav Hey is spelled backwards because in this verse, God was turning back the counsel of man. Now in Esther 5, verse 4, it says, And Esther answered, If it seems good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him. Now yud Hey vav Hey, God's name in Hebrew, is spelled by the initial letters, and he is initiating the action. And yud Hey vav Hey is spelled forward because the Almighty is ruling, causing Esther to act. Now, in Esther chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Now, God's name in Hebrew, yud heh vav -Heh, is formed by the last or final letters of this verse because Haman's end was fast approaching. yud heh vav -Heh, um, it appears backwards in the text, seeing as God was overruling Haman's joy and turning back his counsel. And in Esther, chapter 7, verse 7, And the king, arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath, went into the palace garden, and Haman stood up, to make a request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. By the king. Again, yud heh vav -Heh is spelled in this verse by using the final letters, because Haman's finality had come. Yet in the text, yud heh vav -Heh is spelled forward because God was ruling and bringing about what he had determined. Now, Chuck Missler, in his book, Cosmic Codes, Hidden Messages from the Edge of Eternity, page 83, has this to say um, about um, these four verses. The first two acrostics are a pair, having the named form by the initial letters of the four words. The last two are a pair, having the name formed by the initial letters of the four of, sorry, 
uh, having the name formed by the final letters of the four words. The first of the third acrostic are a pair, having the name spelled backward, and the second and the fourth are a pair, having the name spelled forward. The first and third, in which the name is formed backward, are from the text spoken by Gentiles. The second and the fourth, in which the name is forward, formed forward, are spoken uh, by the Israelites. Unquote. I think that's very, very fascinating, very, very interesting. But this is not all. I am. You know, God has referred to himself as the great I am. And whenever you see I am in scripture, it refers to God. So it says, I am is hidden in the final letters spelled backwards in Esther 7.5. And Esther 7.5 reads, then, then the king Ahoshverosh answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he and where is he that durst pursue, pursue in his heart to do so? The word Messiah or Moshiach is found hidden in the Hebrew text of, of Esther chapter 1 verse 3 by skipping eight letters, eight being the number representing new beginnings. Now Esther 1.3 says, In the third year of his reign he made a feast unto all his princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the province being before him. And in Esther 4.17, it says, So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. And in these verses, Yeshua's name, meaning salvation, is found by counting every eight letters. El Shaddai, which is the Almighty, which is one of the titles of God, is found by counting every seven letters in Esther chapter 4, verse 2, which reads, And came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And as a divine punchline, God has the phrase, Haman and Satan stink, by counting every six letters ten times uh, in Esther 3, 11, and 12. Now, this is no joke. I'm really serious here. 11, uh, Esther chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 read this way. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Then, when the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province, and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, in the name of King Ahoshverosh, was it written and sealed with the king's ring. So, even before Purim was instituted, we see God already participating in all the disguise, jokes, and festivities that we celebrate by tradition today. On another note, Satan likes to play dress up too. 2 Corinthians 11.14 says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Which means, Satan can make himself look pure, good, and holy on the surface yet is pure and deadly evil just inches beneath. Remember, there's a verse in the Brit Harasha, the New Testament, that says that uh, there's a people that have a, a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, and to stay away from those people. Well, that's a perfect example of 2 Corinthians 11.14, where it says Satan transforms himself or disguises himself as an angel of light. And we see this deception in all the New Age and, and, and pagan worldviews uh, where he's just making evil look good. So, at Purim, 
we dress up in costumes. We hide our true identity because uh, Yudhevavhe's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther. He is hidden. Yet, we see he is all too present. It shows us that God and miracles often disguised in the mundane and everyday. Hadassah, that is Esther, hid her identity at the command of her cousin Mordecai in order to reveal her Jewishness at just the right time in order to save her people from total annihilation. On the other hand, we see Satan too participating in Purim. He first came as a wise serpent to Eve. Then, in Esther's day, he disguised himself in Haman as a wise councilman to birth a plan of genocide of the Jewish people, and later in Judas to betray and hand over the Messiah to be killed. And today, Satan conceals himself in the guise of enlightened and, and, and free uh, worldviews and religions and antinomian versions of Christendom uh, com uh, comprising and assimilating forms of of you know other faiths of other denominations of Christendom, which all appear pure and good and well intended, even enlightened, and and yet this is but one of the true threats to uh, the faith of a believer and the true remnant today. We must do our best when called upon to tactfully yet boldly spread the light of Torah and Messiah to uh, to these people that are being deceived by antinomianism. We must be careful so as not to fall into the soft and cuddly death trap of ecumenicalism that says, we all serve the same God, we all, you know. We must, whether we are at home, work, school, or play, no matter what skin or place we are in, we must not compromise and we must stand tall and strong for Torah and Messiah in this dark, perverted, and backwards world. In the first month, that is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahrosh-Varosh, they cast Pur, that is, the lot, before Haman from day to day and from month to month, to the twelfth month, that is, the month of Adar. Esther 3, verse 7. It says in the Babylonian Talmud, Megillah 13b, When the joy fell on Adar, Haman rejoiced greatly, for he said, The lot has fallen on the month Moses died. He did not know that that was the month Moses was born as well. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 2, and uh, chapter 34, verse 7, it says, And he said unto them, this is Moses saying unto them, I am 120 years old this day. I can no more go out and come in. Also the Lord hath said unto me, Thou shalt not go over this Jordan. And Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eye was not dimmed, nor his natural force abated. We see that uh, we see from this that Moses dies on his birthday. Haman only saw one side of the coin. He only saw that Moses died in the month of Adar, and seeing at, seeing it as a good omen for him to exterminate the Jews of Persia, and a bad omen for the Persian uh, for the Persian Jews, that their God had turned against them, and that they were doomed to extermination. Little did Haman know that Moses was also born on the same day that he died. Haman's interpretation of the lots was just the opposite. It was a bad omen for him, for he and his house would perish on the same day, according to Esther chapter 9, verse 5, 10, and 25. And it would represent the death of the old captivity, fleshly Israel, and her rebirth into the new creation, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, which was right, uh, which was right on the heels of the month of Nisan. 
which is the month of Passover, the month of the exodus from Egypt when Israel was birthed as a nation in freedom in the wilderness. <laughs> Hallelujah. The lot is not man's domain, but the Lord's. He is control over all things, according to Romans 8, 28. You know, the lot is not man's domain because it says in Proverbs 16, 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. It should also be noted that death for a believer is a rebirth anyway, and a precious thing in God's eyes, according to Psalm 116, verse 15. Moses was born on the earth and born anew in heaven on the same day. So death in the eyes of his people is a moot point, according to Philippians 121. No matter how you look at it, Israel was to be reborn again. Haman didn't have a chance, never even saw it coming. The Lord was not finished with the Persian Jews. He had a plan and a purpose for them. The God of Israel and Israel declared as one. Psalm 118 verse 17. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Justice is at times diverted by a monetary bribe. Recall the command of the half shekel, which was announced on the first of Adar in preparation uh, to be due on the first of Nisan, Exodus 30, 12 through 14. When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then, sh then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. When thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them, when thou numberest them, this they shall give every one that passeth among them that are numbered half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is twenty geras. A half shekel shall be off shall be the offering of the Lord. Every one that passes among them that are numbered from twenty years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. Now it says in the Babylonian Talmud, Megillah thirteen b. Russia Lakish said, The creator of the world knew Haman would pay money, Shekalim, to convince Ahoshverosh to give him permission to destroy the Jews. So the Holy One made the Jews give their Shekalim first. This is why the announcement of the Shekalim must, must be made on the first of Adar. Each person, despite their economic standing, was required to give a half shekel, no more and no less. It took two persons to make a whole shekel, representing unity and equality, and that, and that we need each other. Haman's shekelim drove people apart. The half shekel of the Jews brought people together. Haman's money was seen as a bribe, perhaps even thought that because the Jews were exiled in Persia by their disobedience to him, that they no longer had the Lord's favor, and thus Haman could bribe God with money and thus get a favorable lot when it was cast. On the other hand, we see that the Jews' shekelim was seen as righteous zedaka, righteous charity, righteous giving, which delivers from death, according to Proverbs 11.4. Just as many who come to the Messianic faith uh, take on new names to reflect one's newfound faith, similarly, when a conquering nation would submit a nation, the people of that vassal state would take on new names to reflect that, uh, uh, that the people was under new management. Also, this was done to symbolize the defeat of the defeated nation's gods because back in the day, most names were reflected by religion of that nation. For example, Daniel, Dan-El, means God is my judge, or Eliyahu, that is Elijah, meaning Adonai is my God.
It was not uncommon for a conquering nation to give new names to the people that they captured. For Daniel and the three Hebrew children were all given pagan names, um, uh, it, um, and it is by those names that we know the three Hebrew young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel was given the name Belshazzar in um, Daniel chapter 1, verse 7. Did you know that Esther, the heroine of Purim, is not a Hebrew name? It's actually a derivative of the name of the pagan goddess Ishtar. Her real name was Hadassah. Hadassah means myrtle branch or myrtle tree. Myrtle branches are used in the Lulav and Etrog bouquet we wave before the Lord during Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. The Lulav and Etrog, which is called also known as the four species, represent the human body, each element a part of the body. The Hadassah leaves are shaped like an eye to represent the eyes. The four species of the Lulav also represent a type of person. The Hadassah branch is an aromatic species and representatory of one who has good deeds. Indeed, Hadassah, that is Esther, had the eyes of the king, but she also had eyes to see trouble all around her and wisely took action by fasting. And her good deed was risking her life to approach the king without being summoned. Whether great, whether what greater deed is there than self-sacrifice, according to John fifteen thirteen? No greater love have no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now Ishtar, from uh, from where the name Esther derives, was the goddess of fertility, love, and war. Esther won the love of King Ahasuerus and was the catalyst that brought war to the kingdom, saving the Persian Jews and allowing the Jewish people to survive and to continue the perpetuation um, of their uh, various lines, as well as defeating Haman and bringing his line to an end. Esther's actions fulfilled what her pagan name meant. Uh, names, whether pagan or Hebraic, have prophetic meaning in a person's life, and their name will shape their life. For example, Nabal was foolish, crass, and foolish and crass enough to snub David when he was on the run from King Saul, and it cost Nabal his life. And indeed, his name meant folly, according to 1 Samuel 25, 25. Solomon means son of peace, and he was the peace child that brought back equilibrium between God and David as well as there was peace and prosperity during Solomon's reign. Ahoshverosh, the king of our story, means lion king, which shows how he was seen by everyone and showed that he was a mighty conqueror not to be trifled with. And we see what happened to Haman when the king thought Haman was trying to seduce Queen Esther right under his nose. He was hung. Check out Esther chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. A lion, when attacking his prey, to kill him uh, immediately goes for the neck. That's what happened with Haman. He was hung by the neck. Ahoshverosh surely did live up to his name. Haman was a descendant of Esau and Amalek, enemies of Israel. Israel was commanded to wipe out Amalek and his descendants, but failed to do so, and the Jewish people reaped the consequences of their disobedience, as we read in the book of Esther. For Haman and an Amalekite attempted to wipe out Israel. Haman means magnificent, and indeed, Haman was very vain and conceited and thought himself so magnificent that everyone should bow in recognition of that magnificence. His name also means noisy tumult, and indeed, he was always flapping his lips, causing trouble everywhere he went. And traditionally, during the reading of Esther, we make a noisy tumult 
in order to drown out the sound of his very name. Mordecai's name was, uh, was taken after the god Marduk, the god of war and order. Haman means noisy tumult is symbolic of chaos, and M Mordecai, or Marduk, is also about order, and hence the clash between the two. Also, a warrior does not bow to someone just because one thinks he, they're magnificent. The warrior will only bow to that which is superior to him, and Haman was anything but. Mordecai only bowed to, God, to the God of Israel, for he is supreme and worthy of all warriors' worship and allegiance. See, in the pagan um, uh, uh, stories, there is, you know, there is the God of chaos and the God of order that war against each other, and the God of order uh, uh, overcomes. So Marduk was fighting the God of chaos and overcame him. So we see that symbolism with the names Mordecai and Haman in this very story. In Esther Rabbah, which is a commentary, Esther Rabbah 7, 8, it says, Haman said to the couriers, Tell him his ancestors, tell him, Mordecai, that his ancestors bowed to my ancestor. For it says, Joseph and Rachel bowed down to Esau. Mordecai replied, Aha, but Benjamin was not born. So Mordecai's ancestors never bowed to Esau, never bowed uh, to, to Haman's ancestors. And it's interesting regarding ancestors. I just found out, found out some things recently. That Vashti was uh, uh, King Belshazzar's daughter, and Esther and Ahasuerus' uh, uh, son uh, down the road would be the king that initiates the building, the rebuilding of the temple. And that Esther was a descendant of King Saul because Esther and Mordecai were Benjamites, and Saul was a Benjamite, so she was a descendant of King Saul. So she was royalty herself. So Mordecai was a descendant of Benjamin, who was prophetically represented by a wolf, a warrior of the woods, and seeing um, as when Joseph and Rachel bowed before Esau, Benjamin was not yet born. So Mordecai's descendants never bowed to Esau in his line, and, and he wasn't about to start. You see, even when one is conquered, one is not defeated. And in order to attempt to wipe out Hebrew life, religion, and culture, the Persians gave the Jews pagan names. Yet that was their downfall because they failed to see the prophetic significance of even those pagan names. By giving Hadassah the name Esther and Mordecai the name Marduk, Persians were actually christening them warlords of the Hebrew people. Truly, God does work everything out for the good. Romans 8.28 Now, let me ask you another question. Did Yeshua celebrate Purim? The Brit Chrashah, the New Testament, is by far not an exhaustive commentary on first century beliefs and practices of the Jewish believer. It is, but a series of snapshots in time. That's what it is. It's not an exhaustive commentary, but snapshots in time. The Brit Chrashah, the New Testament, was never written with the intent of becoming scripture per se. The Besorah, that is the Gospels, are mostly a historical testimonial type of document as a witness to Yeshua that falls, um, uh, that falls way short of the entirety of his life and activities, teachings, and miracles. And it has been said by one of the writers of the Besorah, the Gospels, that all the libraries of the books couldn't contain such information, John 21, 25. Other parts of the New Testament are instructional correspondence between Shelikim, that is the apostles, and various synagogues or congregations. 
Much of the Brit Harasha is written in such a way that it is assumed that the readers were Torah obedient and knew all about many of the customs and traditions of Judaism. This being said, it is a given and obvious that Yeshua kept Saturday Sabbath and went to synagogue, check out Luke 4.16, participated in the feasts of Leviticus chapter 23, and even celebrated non-biblical feasts called Hanukkah. Read about that in John chapter 10. But what about Purim? It is mysteriously not mentioned in the Brit Harasha, that is the New Testament, just as God's name is not found in the text of the book of Esther. So did he observe it? I think it's safe to say that he did, because though it is not mentioned, he he it, though it is not mentioned that he did, Yeshua was a Torah observant Jew, even keeping many of the customs and traditions of his people, which Purim was one of them. Check out Esther chapter nine, verse twenty-eight. The reason it is not mentioned as being celebrated in the Brit Haresha is because in the time of Yeshua, Rome occupied and ruled Israel, and thus Purim was banned as a public festival out of fear it would incite rebellion among the Jews against Rome. However, the Megillah, which is the book of Esther in Hebrew, was still permitted to be read, and Purim was allowed to be observed in private. Wouldn't Hanukkah incite such rebellion too? Why was it celebrated and not publicly and not Purim? Great question. It's because Hanukkah was all about the defeat of Rome's enemies, which were the Greco-Syrians, and encouraged the Jews to celebrate that fact by allowing Hanukkah observances to continue. So hope you enjoyed this little insight, this little commentary on uh, the Feast of Lots on Purim. So Chag Sameach Purim. Happy Purim, everyone. God bless.